0: Mm, thanks be to God. Oh, I find so much comfort from God's word knowing that brothers and sisters in Christ have, have experienced the same struggles which we are experiencing. They have gone through the floods. They have gone through the fires and they have experienced, as Beth just shared from 1 Peter, the outcome of their faith. They have experienced the salvation of their souls it's not a future event it is a salvation available to us even now now oh, I'm so grateful for for the saints who have gone before including the ones we're going to study today as we continue our study of Daniel together Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah all went through the fire But in their experience of God's faithfulness, we find hope for our own trials as well. Pray with me, would you? God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it never returns to you void. Would you do this mystery? Would you accomplish this miracle, God? And even this moment, transcend time, transcend space, and allow us to unite our hearts around the living word of God, Jesus Christ. Allow us to hear and to understand and respond to your written word. And God, I pray that that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm guessing that you are like me and that somewhere in your experience, you have been in the place that Isaiah described. You have been in that place where you felt like the floodwaters were rising and, and maybe in a nightmare, uh, in your dreams at night or, or maybe in a, actual situation you felt as if the waters were rising and like so many movies you were struggling to keep your head above the rising waters you know that experience which which isaiah described many of the rest of us have been through uh, trials by fire we have we have felt the pain uh, physically sometimes, but, but uh, certainly emotionally and even spiritually. The pain that comes when everything that we trusted in, everything that we thought was worthy of standing upon seemed to be burning down around us. And, and, and we cried out to God in the midst of the flames. I love God. I love that. A hundred years before even the story that we're going to study today. The story of Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah in the flames of the furnace. A hundred years before then, God spoke. Thus says the Lord, he said, right? I have chosen you. I have called you by name. You are mine. I'm not pretending for a moment God seems to be saying that, that you are not going to experience that sense of overwhelming that comes from the rising floodwaters. I'm not pretending for a moment that, that you are not going to experience the, the flaming trials of life. No, no um, when you experience those, he said, he assumes we will. But even in the midst of his word, he gives us hope. I want to invite you now to take just a moment as we begin and maybe press pause on your, on your video and, uh, and just read. If you are alone, uh, read it out loud. Read Daniel chapter 3. If you are uh, sitting with a group in your families or a watch party, I invite you to read a couple verses and let the next person take that. But, but let's hear that story again of God's faithfulness in the midst of the furnace. Take just a moment and do that, would you? Oh, my goodness. What a powerful, powerful story. It's a story of, of yes, the, the amazing maturity of these young men whom God uh, placed in exile... And then in the midst of that exile, elevated to positions of influence such that, that people could see the faithfulness of God through their words, through their actions. They could see, in a sense, uh, God uh, incarnated in human beings. This is, this is 600 years, 500 years before God became flesh and walked among us. Today, we live 2,000 years after God became flesh and walked among us, and yet God asks of us the very same thing, that we would incarnate the presence of God in the midst of a culture that is opposed to the things of God well what do we what do we take from this amazing story? right? I want to just mention as we begin that that seventy years is compressed into twelve chapters of Daniel, and so there 's no markers for us to tell us that that um, between this paragraph and that paragraph. Uh, five years went by. Ten years went by. There's no markers for us, so sometimes we have to we have to kind of look carefully and study and and realize that time has gone by. Sometimes the cues we get are by the names of the people that we're dealing with, but sometimes we have to also look at the circumstances which we find, and they give us a hint about when that is. That is certainly true here. Do you remember that last week we saw this incredible vision? of Daniel, uh that Daniel interpreted for Nebuchadnezzar. It was a vision of a statue with a head of gold and a chest of silver and, and a, a torso of bronze and legs of iron and feet of of iron and clay. And 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 in humility Daniel interpreted that dream for Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar was overwhelmed. Nebuchadnezzar was overjoyed. He fell on his face. Chapter 2, verse 46 says, He fell on his face and paid homage, look at this, to Daniel, right? Look at this, watch this. And commanded that an offering and incense be offered to him. Isn't that amazing? In in response to Daniel's interpreting, Daniel was very clear. No man can do this. Only God can do this. Daniel was very clear, but in response to Daniel's interpretation, Nebuchadnezzar commands worship of Daniel. Isn't that amazing? And then then, then, uh, Nebuchadnezzar says, Truly your God, in verse 47, is God of gods and Lord of kings. Isn't that amazing? And revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to Reveal this mystery and the king gave Daniel high honors and great gifts. He made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the magi, over all the wise men. Remember those four categories? The astrologers, the enchanters over all the counselors of the king. We see at the very end of that chapter that Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed and, and now we are in the um, Aramaic section of the book of Daniel. And so he uses their, their Aramaic names, their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, over the affairs of the governance of Babylon. And, and no word is wasted. Daniel remained in the king's court. So all of a sudden, when we get to chapter 3 now, it looks like this is the next day, Right? But very likely, a significant amount of time had gone by. Because now, Nebuchadnezzar, who just moments ago was worshipping Daniel and, and, and praising the God of Daniel, uh, now he himself sets up an image of gold. This is no, um, this is no normal statue. This thing is 90 feet high. That's a nine story building high. And it is, it is disproportionately only nine feet wide. So it is this very tall and very narrow statue, completely made of gold. And he set it up in a, in a place outside of Babylon. So when the end of chapter two, it says Daniel remained in Babylon. This is a different place where all the prefects, all all the administrators, all the leaders, and the people of Babylon were called to come and to bow down and worship this image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. and And you remember the story. Um, this is one of the uh, the core stories of. Uh, the Old Testament when we begin one of the first stories we tell our children as as they are growing up the faithfulness of Hananiah and Mishael and and Azariah in the midst of crushing pressure from the culture around them in the midst of that situation uh, God calls them to be faithful. And what, a, what an amazing story it was. Wasn't it even as you read it a few moments ago? What an amazing story. Well, let me, let me cherry pick some thoughts from this story for us today. And I'm gonna be, on the one hand, uh, looking at the, uh, the story in its own context. It had meaning and purpose in its own context. But at the very same time, I'm gonna be asking you, I'm gonna ask you to say, not only what did it mean then, but what does it mean for me in my circumstances? What does it mean for us in our circumstances? So what do we note about this story? First of all, that, that the fickle are fond of God when it works for them. And yes, yes, the principle uh, character here, of course, is the faithfulness of God in this story. But from a human perspective, the principal character here is really Nebuchadnezzar. The story is being told in his language. the um, the The story centers around what Nebuchadnezzar is doing here, and and what Nebuchadnezzar did was he set up a ninety foot image of gold. From head to toe for the people of Babylon to worship. Now, now I want to stop for just a second and say, um, uh, what? How is this being fickle? Well, well, just a a few, I'm going to suggest a few years earlier, he had said, he had said to Daniel, truly your God is God of God and Lord of kings. And yet now, probably, Probably eight years later, in the tenth year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, he has, he has taken the hope of Daniel's message that you are that head of gold. And he's saying it's not enough now for me to be the head of gold. I want the whole body to be of gold. I want this kingdom, this Babylonian kingdom to reign forever. No, no, I don't know for sure that, that this king, this image was of Of uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Most likely it was not. Most likely it was of Nabu. Or one of the Babylonian gods. But what Nebuchadnezzar was doing. was, Was calling all the people of his country together. To declare their faithfulness to him. In the presence of the Babylonian gods. Now, many people know, many historians have noted that in the tenth year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, there had been uh, an attempted coup. And, and in response, now watch this, in response to the coup, Nebuchadnezzar, probably frightened by the coup, um, Nebuchadnezzar called for a test of loyalty. And let me just suggest to you that, that the world, even your, uh, Your country, your people will periodically ask of you a test of loyalty to uh, themselves that may very well put you in conflict with your primary loyalty to God. That's exactly what happened here. Again, all around us, our loyalties are being tested. I mean, as, as inane as our loyalty to a football team, right? But then maybe at a football game, your loyalty to an ideology uh, rather than uh, even to God, right? And we find in our culture people bowing to false gods. We find people bowing to false ideologies. And we said in our study of Revelation, be very, very careful what you bow down to, right? Stand in honor and respect of the king. Stand in honor and respect of the country but be very careful what you bow down to. I have to say as I was preparing this message I had this visual image of, um, of, of at least a third of our, our world right now that five times a day bows down with their hands and their head and their knees on the ground and bows down and proclaims their loyalty to a false god. So this is very real, even in our world today. So Nebuchadnezzar, who on the one hand had been so effusive in his praise of Daniel, even to the point of worship, who had been so effusive in his praise of Daniel's God, now has flipped and now is re instituting the Babylonian gods even possibly himself and and calling for worship from his people of these false gods now um, I just want to I want to say as a second point our the favor of the world is is rare first of all Uh, if you are faithful to God it's rare and if you have those moments like Daniel did, where the world and the kings of this world uh, do favor you, know that they will be short-lived. Right? Just as Nebuchadnezzar paid homage to Daniel and to his God, now he's asking two powerful questions. Two questions, right? He sets up an image. He requires people to bow down to it. It becomes. Immediately apparent if everybody around you, and there had to have been hundreds if not thousands of people there bowing down to the ground and three people are standing up, right? It is amazingly apparent that they are not bowing down and and that angers the people around them. Right, and you will face that kind of anger if you refuse to bow down to the to the to the idols of our culture. Right, you will be mocked, you will be ridiculed, you will be persecuted as a result. And and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah are brought before Nebuchadnezzar, and he asks them two powerful questions. Right, and and he's asking them, but in a sense, the world is asking us those same questions is it true that you do not serve my gods or worship my idols verse 14 nebuchadnezzar asked them is it true now it's kind of it's kind of interesting it's like nebuchadnezzar wanted them to recant and and would have lessened their punishment somehow would have saved them from the furnace if they had recanted but could they recant I mean, many people in facing these kinds of circumstances do. Many do. And, beloved, in the the months, I used to say years ahead, in the months and years ahead, um, very likely your faithfulness will be tried as well. And you will be asked, is it true that you will not serve my gods or worship my idols? But then... Nebuchadnezzar asks another question, and it's so revealing of his heart. Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hand? This This is throwing down the gauntlet. He is standing against even the very God who he had praised less than 10 years earlier. He's standing in opposition and saying, I am more powerful than your God. And beloved, it may not be a king. It may not be a president. Um, but the culture will put you in that same place in many ways. It's already doing that. And we're not recognizing it. We're not recognizing it. Oh my goodness. Uh, and oh, uh, as I, As I preach this message... Uh, our, our, we're just about to an inauguration and our, culture, our, our country is in turmoil and, and accusations are flying this way and that way and, and, and many are offended that, that our country would be disrespected. Um, but in the midst of all that confusion, um, laws are being passed. The House of Representatives, uh, uh, just after Christmas, passed a law saying that in all the future written laws, they will take out all the personal pronouns, including mother and father and son and daughter. I I am so overwhelmed by this that I I might not be able to communicate to you how critical this is, right? Um, They're changing the language by which our culture operates. And by changing the language, as we have seen, in so many powerful cultural issues by changing the language, they concede the battle. And I, I think how powerful those, just let's take those four. They they go through a list of about 12, I think. But, but those four pronouns are, are such powerful biblical images. What did God say to Jesus when he uh, was baptized? He said, you are my son. He didn't, he didn't say you are they. He didn't say, he didn't, um, uh, make somehow that precious relationship between father and son somehow, uh, invalid. No, God affirmed that. As a, first Thessalonians, as a mother hen gathers her young in her arms, the scripture is, is rife with images personal images where am i going with all this i'm I'm trying to say that that um, the culture is going to constantly war against the things of god including something so personal and and foundational as a mother or a father's relationship to their son or daughter be very careful beloved be very careful and be very aware of what's going on around us. Remember the magicians in the Babylonian court? What is the? What, there's no such thing as magic, right? What they were doing was illusion. They would occupy you with this hand while this hand was doing something different. Uh, and, and, and the same is true and happening around us. We're being, we're being distracted by something while we're giving away... Um, truths that are, are foundational from the creation of the world, even before the creation of the world. Well, thank you for understanding my my rant for a second here. But but these are important things that are happening around us. These are very important things that are happening around us. So, two questions. Nebuchadnezzar asked, "Is it true?" First of all, and they said, "Yes, it's true." Right. And, and they said, and he said, who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Don't you love, this is why the story is so famous. Don't you love their response? We have no need, verse 16 of chapter three, we have no need to answer you, Nebuchadnezzar, in this manner. If this be so, if you're going to put our faith to the test, then know this, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand. Okay, I love this, they don't um, go beyond, they don't put God in a box and dare God to deliver them, they said, we just know he's able. And in life or in death, we will be delivered out of your hand, O king, right? And then, I love this, he's able, but if not, let it be known to you, O king. Can you imagine the courage that it took them to say these words? But even if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your God's or worship your golden image that you have set up. We will not serve your God or bow down to your idols, O king. Oh, I feel the need to just um, stop for just a second. I'm not trying to keep a revol- uh, begin a revolution. I'm not trying to ask you to go out and 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 uh, and choose a battle that God has not led you to fight. Right? We talked about that last week, um, Daniel. Hananiah, Mishael, uh, Azariah were so good at choosing their battles. Don't fight a battle that you don't need to fight. But but understand this, that the very authority of our God and king is being challenged, it's being tested, and, and God is watching our response. Uh, in your heart, sanctify him as Lord and then trust his word and trust the guidance of his Holy Spirit to show you which hills to fight on, to show you which battles to stand on. And it could be that that uh, someone else is, is called to fight that battle. That might not be yours, but but seek that place where God is saying to you, will you stand for me even when everyone else? is bowing around and I just love I just love their faithfulness. Even if not, be it known to you, we will not serve your gods or worship the idol which you have set up. as a powerful words Well you know the story. You know that 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 Nebuchadnezzar was enraged. As as I understand this, when when my pride gets stepped on, when uh, when even some small, insignificant, I find welling up within me um, a human rage. Right, and and uh, it could be as stupid or as simple as somebody cutting me off in traffic, or or some un, untoward thing, or something on 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 social media, um, and and I. I, I recognize the human response in Nebuchadnezzar, but he was—he was enraged. He ordered that the furnace be heated. I don't know how they measured this, but seven times hotter. So hot that the people who were throwing uh, uh, Hananiah and and Mishael and Azariah into the furnace died in the very process of throwing them in. And 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 they were tossed in there in judgment. It's it's really crazy here because there's this this weird thing happening where where apparently. Nebuchadnezzar is able to see them in the furnace, and yet earlier we saw that they were dropped in, and commentators know that oftentimes these large furnaces for, for making idols, for doing these larger projects, had a hole in the top, but they also had a hole in the side where the air went in to feed, and the heat rose out of the top, and you could look in the side of the furnace and see what was happening in the furnace, and that was what's so astounding, right? That's what's so astounding about this, that that he, Nebuchadnezzar looked in and saw not three people in there, but he saw a fourth. One, and in his in his um, Aramaic words and his his uh, immature understanding, he just said, "It looks like a, a son of the gods standing there with them." In other words, they were not alone in the midst of the fire. And and we'll come back to this in a moment, but. Um, but if you're there right now and you're holding on by your fingernails and you're not sure whether you can make it, the pain is too great or the, or the floods are, are making you feel like you're drowning, hold on. Hold on. You're not alone. Remember where we started this? I will never leave you or forsake you, God says. So what do we learn from the example of these three? That the faithful follow God. The faithful follow God even when it 's difficult and dangerous right it 's interesting that nebuchadnezzar when when he saw that God had protected them, he himself described their faithfulness right in in verse i 've got to find it here in verse twenty eight um, yeah twenty eight of chapter Three, Nebuchadnezzar noted that they trusted in God, that they were not afraid to set aside the king's command. That was his command. They were not afraid to set aside the king's command and that they yielded up their bodies rather than serve or worship any God but their own. Do you remember just last week, our memory verse? Uh, Romans 12, two weeks ago, I guess Romans 12, one and two. Um, I urge you, brothers, Paul says, by the mercy of God to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Now, as, as Hananiah and his friends looked at this situation and might be saying, well, no, you're asking us to offer ourselves as dead sacrifices. No, no, they were living sacrifices. They stepped into the fire and God met them in the trial. And testimony after testimony, if you're in your homes right now and your life is one of God's faithfulness in the midst of your fire, I just encourage you to say out loud, your kids might laugh at you, but say out loud, Amen. Amen, their testimony is my testimony as well. God was faithful even when I had to offer my own body as a living sacrifice. The faithful follow God even when it is difficult or dangerous. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us today, right? Uh, I trust the Holy Spirit to lead you in personal applications. Here's some of my thoughts as, as I reflected on these scriptures this week. Don't be surprised by the tantalizing temptations of idolatry. It would have been so easy, right? For them just to cut a low profile, to, to bow their bodies. And they could have they could have been saying, Yeah, I'm bowing my body, but my heart is is still God's, right? It would have been so easy. So easy just to give in to the temptation to avoid pain and suffering. By by worshiping false idols, um, don't be surprised when you're asked to do the same thing. The world around you, even your own flesh, certainly the evil one are all conspiring against the things of God. And even as Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, so you will be tempted on a regular basis to respond to the evil one rather than to be faithful to God. Let me just remind you, anything, anything you consider More important than God is idolatry, even and especially the good things, right? I'm trying to remind you of many studies we've had in the past. The enemy of the best is not the worst, it's the good things. It's all those other things, the temptations of this world your daily bread, right? Your emotional security, your power, all those temptations that Satan tempted Jesus with, you're going to face those things as well. Don't be surprised when you're tempted. But also, don't be surprised by the intensifying, by the ever-increasing fury of the idolatrous culture, right? When you refuse to worship idols, then the people around you are going to feel judged by that. I can't even tell you, uh, a course of a week, seven or eight times a week, the issue of don't judge me comes up, right? And I'm, I don't think I'm a real judgmental kind of guy. I think I'm a kind of a gracious kind of guy. I, I lead with, with the grace of Jesus Christ. But, but the truth of God... Makes people feel like they are being judged and their fury is ever increasing. Right? Their fury is ever increasing. So, what's happening for us then? Well, our faithfulness is being tested when we face the fury of the culture around us, when we face the fury of the fire. Did you hear? The Scripture that we just shared from first Peter, I 'm so grateful for Beth for her sharing that scripture with us, but turn back there with me just for a moment, because first Peter was writing to a people in the midst of the fire, right, and in the middle of that beautiful passage about our hope in Jesus Christ was a recognition of the struggle that is going on around us, right? Peter writes, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. There's that word that means tests or even temptations. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire. So that the, the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and glory. And honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, your courage is never wasted, beloved. Your faithfulness impacts not only those around you, but impacts even the last days. Oh my goodness. I just, I encourage you. Be faithful in the midst of the fire. Know that, that something beautiful is happening. Holy, apart from the testimony of your life to other people, God is doing something in your life as well. I don't think it's an accident that in Isaiah God speaks of these two different things, fire and water. Right? Uh, he speaks of these two different things that in Numbers he says are the two instruments of purification. Right? For things that uh, like leather and and pottery that can withstand. Uh, they they. Um, He encourages them to test them by fire. Fire purifies. Fire takes hay and stubble, right? And grass and burns it away. So only that which is genuine can remain. It's no accident that one of the major images of God, I'm getting all hyper here. The major images of God is fire, right? It's fire. But it's no accident either that it's also water. There are things that can sustain even the fire that can be cleansed by water. And it's no accident that Jesus said, I am the living water, right? Which not only refreshes your soul, but which watches you. If for any reason you are thinking that I'm judging you today for the interactions that you had in this idolatrous culture, don't for a moment go there. Because i 'm just like you, right I am just like you, all the sins in first corinthians six that that Paul lists i 'm um, vulnerable to and have committed most of them somewhere in my life but he says you're not identified by your sin you're not identified by the things that you have done yeah you you did those things but you have been washed you have been sanctified right you've been cleansed by the the living water that is jesus christ and so you can stand oh they'll accuse you who do you think you are to stand like some holier than thou they'll accuse you of those things what they say, what they think doesn't matter. What matters is what your Heavenly Father thinks of you. And He loves you. And and He holds you precious. And He has redeemed you. Remember? Isaiah 43. He's called you by name. You are His. So no matter what the culture is doing, and it's raging around you, know that your faithfulness is being tested. Know that your motives are being purified. I want to note here before we, we land uh, on a closing thought, I want to just note for a second that you will not be able to account for the way the world will respond to you. It was amazing to watch how Nebuchadnezzar responded when God protected Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, um, the fickle, the fickle Nebuchadnezzar, right, flipped yet again, flipped back yet again, and demanded that, that everybody worship the God of, and he used their, their Babylonian name, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? He, uh, he flipped again. Are you gonna entrust your eternity to the culture around you, or even the kings of the culture around you, that flip back and forth, no matter which way the winds are blowing, the world will always have complex response to the truths of God. But do you remember what we said long ago? How if you genuinely follow Jesus, the world will at the same time hate you and be inexorably drawn to you, right? Don't be surprised by the hate, right? It's not you. It's not you. But the presence of God through Jesus in you that they are rejecting. When mothers, when your daughters say to you, I hate you, right? Uh, uh, don't don't take that seriously. Uh, I, I'm of uh, uh, the calm assurance that the opposite of love is not hate. Um, it is apathy. And if they're still reacting to you like that, yeah, you're probably doing something Right, Lord willing. Now, don't be surprised when the world says it hates you. It means you're getting close to the core of their heart. You're getting close to that which is intensely personal. And though they may change the names of all those things so that somehow they won't feel the effect of it, um, they can never change the way God created them to be. And though they say for a moment they hate you, they will be inexorably drawn to you. And you may never know. You may never know. I've had several times where someone's came to me and said... You didn't realize it at the time, but, but five years ago, when you said such and such, it was exactly what, what cured my heart, and I put my faith in God. And yeah, I gave you a really hard time, but, but, um, but because you held to what you believed and knew to be true, God changed my heart. Stand firm, beloved. Stand firm in the midst of the culture wars around you. And lastly, I just invite you, don't be surprised by the amazing deliverance of our God, right? We, we know that he can do this, right? Like, like Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, we know these things to be true. Declare them to be true and don't be surprised when he delivers you then, right? Because he is able. In humility, we surrender ourselves to his perfect desires. Like John the Baptist, he may say, No, uh, I'm going to accomplish more for the kingdom of God through your death than through your life. We trust him with that. But don't be surprised when he answers your prayers. Don't be surprised when he glorifies himself through your trial. Don't be surprised when when he doesn't answer the prayer in the way you thought, But but... Gives you what you really needed instead. God did not abandon. Hananiah And Mishael. And Azariah. In the flames. Let me say it differently. He did not abandon them to the flames. But was with them. In the flames. Did you catch that? He did not abandon them. To the flames. And he will not abandon you to the fiery and furious culture around you, but he will be with you in the flames. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. But even beyond that, God did not protect them from the flames, but rather through the flames, out of fear of The culture's rejection of you out of fear of persecution, out of fear of physical, emotional, or even spiritual distress. Do not, do not run from God's purpose for your life. Instead, understand that he will take you through it. And because he took Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah through the flames, we're talking about them 2,600 years later. We're rejoicing with them 2,600 years later for God's faithfulness. God is all about deliverance, beloved. And he is able, amen, he is able to deliver you as well. Let me say it one more time. So worthy of hiding in your hearts. But now, thus says the Lord, who created you, who formed you. Don't be afraid. For I have. past since redeemed you. I have called you. By name. And you are mine. When you pass through the waters. I will be with you. And through the rivers. They shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire. You will not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord. Look at this. Your God. Your God. The Holy One of Israel. Your Savior. The grace and peace of our God and your Savior be with you this morning forevermore. Amen.